So today's reading is from the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. And if you're using a church Bible, it's on page 370. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislez, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps its covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the people. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of the heavens, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servants today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was cupbearer to the king. Thank you, Francis, for reading God's work to us. We're going to be in Nehemiah this morning, just um, drawing on some key principles for building. The title is Building with God for His Glory. So let me just pray before we come and get into the, the study together. Father, we, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of heaven. You're the eternal one. And Lord, we just thank you for the privilege of being invited to build with you for your glory. We pray, Lord, as we would study your word from Nehemiah, we pray that your spirit would speak to us Father, we pray that we would learn and we would be able to apply your word to our lives, Lord, that it might change us, that it might transform us. Lord, be with us, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you've ever been involved in a building project. Now, I'm going to tell a story, but I didn't think my fellow labourer would be sitting at the front there. But anyway, have you ever been involved in a building project? My one and only experience was when I took on the project of building a retaining wall outside my back garden. It was about maybe one and a half metres, nothing too fancy. Being a new husband, wanting to impress, I thought, here we go. So the first task was to measure it out. 
Second task was to order the bricks. Third task, a bit more demanding, dig out the founds. The materials arrived and the great build could begin. And I remember brick by brick, two hours into the whole exercise, it was looking quite good. It was maybe about that height. Four hours later, yeah, it was a bit higher. Eight hours later, this is too tough. This is much harder than what I'd ever envisaged. And to my horror, I stood back to admire my wall and I realized my wall was taking on a curve. You know those televisions you buy with the curves? Well, my wall was beginning to look like that. And further to my horror, I realized that if you don't get the consistency of cement right, then it runs. And there was a lovely pattern running down the bricks and my wall. And it was at that point I realized building is not that easy. So basically, to build, you need to plan. You need the right skills. You need the patience. You need the endurance. But if you're anything like me, more to the point, you need help. You need help to build. What a difference it would have been if I had hired a a professional bricklayer, and I had been his labourer, and he had built the wall for me. What a difference that that would have made. You see, building with God for his glory will take planning, it will take prayer, it will take commitment, it will take endurance, but most of all, we need God. We need God to work for us. We need God to work through us. You know, this morning we're all involved in building projects, one type or another. Couldn't help but think, 19 months we're into this building project of Harvest Air, where God is building a church here in air. And for those of us who've committed, God calls us, God has invited us to build with him for his glory here in air. For some of us, God has given us the privilege to build for his glory within our families. And for everyone who is in Christ, God has called us to build strong witnesses, faithful witnesses in the community that he has placed us in. So we're all involved in building projects, one type or another. Nehemiah, as we come to Nehemiah here, we see that God called Nehemiah to build the walls in Jerusalem. You see, God had used the Babylonians and he had used the Babylonians to judge his people because of their sin, because of the rebellion, and they were being held in captivity for 70 years. And it's into this context that God calls Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and to start to rebuild the walls. But I want, I want you to notice this morning that God went before Nehemiah and as we are called to build for his glory, God goes before us. There's three things that happened just prior to Nehemiah going back to Jerusalem. Firstly, the balance of power had shifted. The Babylonians were no longer the force in town to be reckoned with. It shifted to the Persians. God was at work amongst the nations. If you know of the book of Esther, Ezra, Nehemiah, you read of the kings of Persia and how they showed God's favor, a favor to God's people rather. 
So God was at work in the hearts of the kings and the nations before Nehemiah even arrived in Jerusalem. Secondly, God had already gathered a people in Jerusalem. When Nehemiah arrived, this was the third return of God's people to Jerusalem. There had been two subsequent returns before, or two prior returns rather, before Nehemiah arrived in the scene. So God was already gathering his people in Jerusalem for this really important build, for this building project. And then the third thing that God was doing, he had positioned Nehemiah into a place of influence. He was the butler for the king. And that enabled Nehemiah to seek freedom to travel, to seek protection to travel, and also to gather a whole lot of resources that he would use to build the walls there in Jerusalem. So God was going before him. God was at work. And as we are called to work for God's glory, to build for his God's, God's glory, be sure that God is at work. He will go before us. You see, God is sovereign. He's always at work. Even when we don't feel it, God is at work. Even when we don't know it, he is at work. And ultimately, it is God who builds. We read that in Psalm 127, don't we? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. God ultimately builds. So it's just with this platform, with this sure and certain knowledge that it is God who builds, it is God who moves, it is God who changes hearts, it is God who will provide the resources and strength from this solid platform. I'd like us just to read through Nehemiah, the first four chapters, and just draw some five key principles for building with God for his glory. So if you can keep your Bibles open, We'll quickly move it through. My promise to you is we'll move relatively quickly. Four chapters seems a lot. I'm conscious of that. But my promise is this. We will finish on time. At least before next Sunday's service. (laughs) Principle number one. Building with God for his glory requires a heart that is concerned for his glory. Look with me, will we, in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, which Francis read to us. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the Lord God of heaven. As we read these verses, as we read through chapter 1, we can't help but notice that Nehemiah is gripped with sadness because of the state of Jerusalem and because of the shame of God's people. See, Jerusalem was known as the dwelling place of God, and it lay in ruins. Its mighty gates had been destroyed, had been burned by fire, and God's people who were dwelling there They became the laughing stock to the nations around about them. They were held in derision. They were in shame. Let me ask you this morning, whose glory are you building for? You see, Nehemiah had a concern for God's glory. That's what drove him to his knees. Whose glory are you building for this morning? Are you building for God's glory 
are you building for your own glory? I wonder as we look across the landscape of our nation, is your heart grieved? Is it concerned for God's glory? You see, our churches should reflect something for God's glory. They should be bright. And instead, many of our churches, they lie in ruin. They lie in compromise. Our families, our marriages should reflect something of the glory of Christ and his bride. And yet, they lie broken within our nation. We even redefine marriage itself. The laws that God has given us for our good, for our prosperity, for our peace, for our orderly living, they're reversed, they're ignored, they're ripped up in our country. And as you see that across our land, does your heart grieve? Does your heart mourn for the glory of God? Would you be like Nehemiah? Would you have a heart that longs to see God glorified in his church, in this church, in our families, in everyday life as we witness for him? And the challenge that comes to us this morning is this. Will you, will I, will we build for the glory of God? Will we deny ourselves? Will we set aside our reputations, our comfort, our prosperity, our aspirations, our wealth, our time? Will we do this for God's glory? Nehemiah had a heart for the glory of God. Will you have a heart for the glory of God. If you're not building for God's glory this morning, let me remind you that you are in dangerous ground. And this is from God's word. This is, this is not my words. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7 and 26. And we covered this probably a few months ago. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. These are the words of Jesus. And Jesus is reminding us here that one day God's judgment will come. And if you're not trusting in Jesus, if you're not building for his glory, but rather you're living for yourself, you're building for your own glory, then your life and everything that you've built will fall. It will crash. You will be lost for all eternity. But Jesus, Jesus has paid the price on the cross. I would exhort you, I would encourage you, if that describes you this morning, to flee to Christ before it is too late. So Nehemiah had a heart that was concerned for God's glory. Principle number two, Building with God for his glory requires a heart that is dependent on God through prayer. We read through chapter 1 here and we see the prayer of Nehemiah from verse 5 through to verse 11. You see, the news was devastating to Nehemiah. This was his city. This was his people. Notice his first instinct was to get down on his knees and to seek God. You see, Nehemiah believed in the faithfulness of God, and he believed that as God's people pray, that God answers his people. 
Nehemiah had worn out knees. He had worn out knees. Does that describe you? Does that describe me? God's word gives us many great examples for prayer. And I just want to touch on this just as we go through. This is a really good pattern for prayer in our own personal lives. Notice with me number verse 5. Nehemiah starts with adoration. He worships God for who he is. And he reminds himself of who God is and God's greatness. Listen to these words from verse 5. The God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Nehemiah starts with adoration. The God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love. He then moves quickly in verse 6. If you just follow through the passage to confession. And he confesses the sins of the nation. He confesses the sins of his household. He then confesses his own sin. And notice in this prayer that Nehemiah owns his sin. He doesn't seek to offer lame excuses. But he owns and accepts the sin. And he takes responsibility and recognizes the predicament the nation is in in exile is down to their own sin and rebellion against God. You see, God had warned them not to sin, not to rebel, and he had laid it very clearly that if they did, that he would judge. And Nehemiah acknowledged that. But then moving into verse 9, God, or sorry, Nehemiah reminds himself that even against this bleak backdrop of sin and judgment, that there is hope and there is grace that is found in God. There is redemption and restoration. That is possible when people return to God in repentance and faith. So he goes from adoration, he goes to confession, he then, I'm going to call it loosely Thanksgiving, just to keep my little acts acronym, but he goes to thanksgiving when he remembers the hope and grace of God. And then finally, he arrives at the supplication or the requesting. And we read this in verse 11. Um, finally, he presents his request to God. Grant success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. So there's a really nice pattern that sometimes can be helpful for us as we pray. To begin with adoration, confession, thanksgiving, then supplication. The requests come last. And this was the first prayer of Nehemiah that we read. But Nehemiah continually prays throughout this book. He starts, he starts with prayer before the build. He continues with prayer during the build. And even after the build, he's found in his knees. So I just want to ask us this morning, just to challenge us this morning, is your heart like Nehemiah? Is it dependent on God through prayer? I wonder if our dependency on God was to be measured by our prayer lives, what would that reveal? If our dependency on God were to be measured by yours and my prayer life, what would that reveal? How dependent would we be on God? 
You see, prayer needs to be a priority in the life of the believer. Any serious builder who is going to build with God for his glory needs to be on their knees. We need to have worn out knees. So let me encourage you this morning to make prayer a priority in your personal life. To come to God in your homes, wherever he has placed you, and to seek his face. And let me encourage you and us as a church together to make prayer a priority corporately as we come to God Sunday by Sunday, Wednesday morning by Wednesday morning, Friday by Friday, small group by small group. We need the Lord to move in prayer. Listen to this quote from Spurgeon. I am convinced that no great thing can really come from a Christian faith devoid of prayer. Do you hear that? I am convinced that no great thing can really come from a Christian faith devoid of prayer. Prayer by its very nature demonstrates a dependence on God. Prayer really is the engine room of the church. Prayer is the engine room of the church. You know, prayer is the engine room of what we're building. It's the engine room of our relationship with the Lord and it's the engine room of this church. Let's be a people who are dependent on God through prayer. Just quickly on the prayer side of things, <coughs> did you notice the confession that Nehemiah made in his prayer? And confession needs to be a central part of our prayer life. Nehemiah, as I said before, owned his sin. You know, he didn't come before God and say, sorry, Lord, for getting hot under the collar, but so-and-so did this. No, he owned the sin. He owned the anger. He named the sin specifically before the Lord and asked for forgiveness. So let me just encourage you, as you come to God in prayer, to make confession a central part of your prayer life, to name your sins sin by sin and bring them to the Lord knowing that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. We read that in 1 John, don't we? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, in the building project, unconfessed, festering sin will hinder us as we seek to build for God's glory. It will hinder us as we seek to build for his glory. So we need to come to the Lord. We need to confess our sins. A heart that is dependent on God through prayer. Principle number three. Building with God for his glory requires a heart that is captivated by God's calling. Just turn with me, will you, to chapter two, please. I'm just going to pick up two verses from here. Verse 11 and verse 12. Verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. Listen to these words. And I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. 
You see, as Nehemiah in chapter 1 spent time in God's presence in prayer and fasting, God was at work in his heart and God changed Nehemiah's heart. And Nehemiah was captivated by God's calling on his life. And on hearing God's calling, he immediately started to obey the calling of the Lord. And he stepped out from his relative comfort, his position of influence, and made his way to Jerusalem. And as we read through chapter 2, we're not going to read it together, but just let me just um, pick out a few sections here. In verse 3, we see Nehemiah's obedience as he goes to the king, as he asks for leave to return to Jerusalem to build the walls. Tells us he went there in fear. He had concerns, but he was willing to obey the Lord. Then we read in verse 11, he arrived in Jerusalem. And the interesting thing is he arrived in Jerusalem in complete discretion. There was no big fanfare. There was no big announcement. Nehemiah has arrived. I'm going to rebuild the walls. Such was Nehemiah's leadership. He was a leader that was marked with humility. He arrived quietly on the scene. And then in verse 12 to 16, you read that he went around scoping out the task, checking out what had to be done, and he did this with a few people in the middle of the night where no one was watching in complete discretion. And then eventually we get to 17 where he invites the people to join and to build with him. Verse 17, come and let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And such was his humility as he even met with the people and shared his vision he was careful to give God the glory. He told the people how God had been at work in his heart, the king's heart, and the provisions that God had opened up. You see, Nehemiah's heart was captivated by the calling that God had laid on his life. And the challenge for you and me this morning, is our heart captivated by God and by his calling? She's spending time with God is crucial because as we spend time in God's presence, God works in our hearts. It's a must for us. It's a must for me. It's a must for you if you're going to build with God for his glory to spend time in his presence. It means to set aside time from the busyness of life. It means to set aside time to read his word to spend time in prayer as we've already reflected. It means to make a priority of gathering together as God's people, to dwell in his presence, to worship him, to listen to his word. It means small group, week by week, gathering together with God's people to study God's word together, to pray together. That's what it means to spend time in God's presence. And as we do that, God works in our hearts. And as he works in our hearts, this will transform how we commit, how we give ourselves to this local church. This will transform how we teach and how we raise our kids and our families. This will transform how we live in front of a watching world. I've got to say, as I read through Nehemiah, as I was praying and pre preparing for this, 
do parallels with what we're doing here in Harvest Air in terms of God building a church here are very strong in my heart. And I just want to speak to that just for a moment. You see, as members of this local church, God is calling us to build with him for his glory. Building can be hard. Building can be tiring. But God has called you to build for his glory. Listen to the words that Paul gives us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. See, Paul doesn't hold any punches here. He reminds us that the work will require sacrifice, that the work calls for commitment and endurance and consistency. But he also reminds us that no work or no labor done in the name of Jesus will be wasted. No work done in the name of Jesus will be wasted. You see, being involved in a church plant in these early days, it's a unique opportunity for each one of us to invest in eternal things, to invest for eternity. As Jesus says, lay up treasure in heaven. I don't know about you, but it excites me what God has done thus far. And it excites me what he'll do this year, what he'll do five years' time, ten years' time, fifty years' time, when certainly I'll not be here. This is a long-term project, folks. God is building his church here. And the amazing thing is, he's inviting each one of us to build with him to labor with him for his glory. Will you, will I, will you allow your hearts to be captivated by this calling? Principle number four, building with God's glory requires a heart that is united and committed <coughs> to his service. You see, Nehemiah had obeyed the call the plans were set in place for the build. The vision had been given to the people and the, ball, the, the wall began to build. But let's just look at chapter 3 with me, just verses 1 to 3. I'm going to read it very quickly. Chapter 3, verse 1. Then Elishib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the tower of Hano. And next to him the men of Jericho built, and next to them Zachar the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams, set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and so on. I, I, I just love that phrase, and next to them, and next to them, and next to them. And it's really just a, a picture of how God's people work together they were all in on the project. They committed to this building work that the Lord had called them to. Isn't, isn't God gracious? He gives us fellow laborers to build with. He doesn't ask us to build on our own, but he brings us into community to build together. And as you read through chapter 3, and you can do that at your leisure, 
I think we see 1 Corinthians 12 in action. One body, many parts, different gifts, working together in unity, committed and using their gifts for the glory of God. As we read through chapter 3, as I read through chapter 3, I couldn't help but notice, you know, this wall didn't appear overnight. It was built brick by brick, section by section, gate by gate, and everyone was committed. So what can we learn here from chapter 3? Success in building for God's glory requires unity. You see, when God's people are united in the work of the gospel, God accomplishes great things. But the converse is true. When God's people allow disunity, pride, preferences, discontentment to creep in, then the work can be hindered. Or even worse, the work can stop. And rather than us bringing glory to God in the building, we bring shame, we bring derision in front of a watching world. Let me appeal to myself. This is for me as much as anybody else. Let me appeal to my fellow laborers in front. Let's remain united as we seek to build here for the work of the gospel and harvest there. Let's flee to unity. Let's run away from disunity or discord. Let's flee to unity. In our families, as we build for God's glory, let the truth of Scripture be our authority, not our bright ideas, not our pride, not our desires, not our preferences, but as fathers and mothers, as husbands and wives, Let God's word have the authority, the truth of Scripture, to be the guiding principle as we build. So building for God's glory requires unity. But I think also you see from chapter 3, it requires everyone to be involved. It requires all in. It's an all-in project here. God calls us to build together. It's not a passive thing. You see, God has placed us in this church. He's placed us in our families. He's given us different roles. He's given us specific gifts. And if we are to function well and we're to build for his glory, everyone is required. Everyone is required to use their gifts. There's no room for sitting on the sidelines. Your service is vital. My service is vital. Your service is required. My service is required. I just want to encourage you because I know Building in the context of church can be difficult, it can be hard, it can be tiring. But as elders, I'd like to say that we are so grateful to God for everyone that the Lord has gathered together in this place. We're so encouraged, we're so grateful to see people sacrificing week by week and see everything that's done in the name of Jesus. But you know, God is pleased, isn't he? He sees everything that's done in his name, even those unseen things like that cup of coffee that no one sees, even that time when you go into the private place to uphold your brothers and sisters in prayer, God sees these things. But let me encourage you to keep pressing 
on, to keep pressing on, to be committed to that calling that he has called us to. Did you notice? Probably not because we never read it. But in verse 5 in chapter 3, look at verse 5 in chapter 3, and next to them, sorry, and next to them, the Tikites repaired, but the nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. There was a certain certain um, category of people, the nobles, who just sat in the sidelines, never get involved. Let me just encourage each one of us not to be like a noble, but rather to get involved and to build for God's glory. This wall, as I said before, went up walled, brick by brick, gate by gate, section by section, and so it is with our families as we build for God's glory. So it is with this church as we build for God's glory. And so it will be as we seek to build a faithful witness in our communities. It doesn't happen overnight. We're called for patience and faithful building. Look to God for the increase. Be faithful. Be prepared just to work faithfully for him. So a heart that is united and committed to his service. And finally, and finally, principle number five, building with God for his glory requires a heart that is resolute in the face of opposition. A heart that is resolute in the face of opposition. Turn with me just to chapter four, please. We're just going to pick up verse 10 through to 12. Chapter 4, verse 10. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burden is failing. There is too much rubble by ourselves. We will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, ten times, you must return to us. You see, as Nehemiah and the people started to build this wall, they faced opposition. They faced op opposition almost immediately. You know, it started off fairly tame. So it did. Kind of subtle. People ridiculing them for what they were doing. People being sarcastic. Yeah, mocking them, having jibes. Fairly tame. But as they kept going on, it escalated. It got a bit more serious. And in verse 8, we read how they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem. The opposition was growing stronger. And then by verse 10, it's escalated even further. And we see that the opposition is coming on multiple fronts. I don't know whether you notice as we read verse 10, opposition started to come from within. Those who were building they looked at the rubble. There's too much. We're never going to make it. We're tired. We're fatigued. And opposition began to set in from within. And then as we move to verse 11, we notice that the enemies on the outside, they're beginning to threaten to come and kill and to destroy and stop this work. And then in verse 12, I don't know whether you noticed, but these were other Jews who weren't involved in the the project. They weren't in Jerusalem. They were sitting outside Jerusalem and they were saying to God's people, come on, this is too difficult. 
You're in danger. Come out of here and take refuge with us. I think there's a great lesson as we build for God, for his glory, within our families, within this church, and our witness in this community, expect opposition. Expect opposition. It will come. Sometimes it will come from outside. Sometimes it might even come from inside. But expect opposition. How did the people, how did Nehemiah remain faithful? How did they remain on course? They prayed. Prayer. Verse 4. Hear, O God. Verse 9. And we prayed to our God. Prayer. They prayed, they sought God's face. And the second thing they did is they fixed their eyes on God. Read verse 14 with me. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Listen to these words. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. As they faced opposition, they stood firm. They sought God's help through prayer and they rested in the character of God who was awesome, who was almighty and they drew their strength from God himself and that's the same for us. If we're going to build with God for his glory, we will expect opposition. Seek his face in prayer. Fix your eyes on him. I mean, this week, I think we've seen opposition in our political scene in this country, haven't we? We've seen how people are against God's ways. And that's not going to be any different for us as a church, as families, in the places that we work as we seek to build a testimony. We will receive opposition. But our God is mighty. Our God is awesome. Our God is great. He will sustain us. He will keep us. He will strengthen us. Look to him and seek him in prayer. Are you building for God's glory? Are you building for your own glory. Let me just underline if you're building for your own glory, as we've said before, you're in dangerous ground. You need to flee to Christ before it's too late. But if you are building for God's glory in His church, in your family, in your community, here are five key principles that you can take away from this book of Nehemiah. Have a heart that's concerned for God's glory, a heart that's oriented towards God's glory and not your own. Have a heart that's dependent on God through prayer. Make prayer a crucial, critical part of your life. Be captivated by God's calling. Give him your all. Be united. Be committed in his service. And when opposition comes... Be resolute. Look to God. Stand and rest in him and his character.
going to finish in prayer and then invite Lee to come and lead us in communion. Father, we thank you that you are truly a great and awesome God. Father, we thank you that you're a God who is sovereign, you're a God who goes before, you're a God who sustains, you're a God who keeps. And Lord, we are conscious of our great need of you, Lord, as we would build here with you for your glory. Father, we pray that you would cause us to be faithful, you would cause us to have hearts that are captivated by the calling you have called us to. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to build for your glory here in this church, Lord, here in our families, here in our community as we seek to live lives in front of a watching world. Lord, we utterly need you. We're utterly dependent upon you. And we pray, Lord, that you would move in us by your spirit. And Father, you would cause us to be your faithful servants. Do a great work amongst us. Who would ask these things? In Jesus' name.